You know, I had someone faint in class before. Yep, she went down in history. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Teach This Teacher Podcast. And hey, look, I know we're off our schedule here, but we've been having such a great response um, for our podcast. We decided that we're going to start having short episodes on the week that we don't have our regular scheduled episode. So this is the first short that we've done. We're going to try to keep it around 15 minutes or so. Don't keep me to that. You know I'm a talker. And once I start going, I don't normally stop. So this episode, we're going to talk about something that is fairly scary, but maybe likely. And that is the possibility of going back to digital learning as Omicron spreads. So let's jump right in. Whenever we do a short episode, we're going to actually be featuring a blog post that is on Teach This Teacher blog um, from that week. So this week, we featured a new blog post called Going Back to Virtual Learning Again, right? So um, it is a possibility, and we're going to read from our news from education later in the broadcast. Um, We have an article from the New York Times, and it's talking about the districts that are making that decision to go virtual again and why they're making that decision. But basically, you've got to be living under a rock to not know that Omicron is spreading like wildfire. And I want to say something about Omicron, and um, it's an enlightened view that I have come to, um, and that is that It is very um, inaccurate, I guess, to say that Omicron originated in South Africa. And yes, this is kind of off the topic. We're getting into the scientific community here, which is not my wheelhouse. But um, what we should rather say is that Omicron was discovered first in South Africa, right? That variant. Um, And so... um, Everything that I've been hearing on the news, we should be thanking the South Africans for not only discovering it, but also sharing their data with us very, very um, swiftly and consistently. And so um, as these variants start popping up, we have to, I guess, stop thinking about them as originating in certain places. Rather, they're being discovered. And certainly they it could have originated there. Um, but anyways... I digress. So the blog this week um, gives us a few tips, and I love the GIF that we display on it. It's a woman that is calmly banging her head on her desk (laughs) because um, that's just the way we feel sometimes. But the point is we have to prepare for the possibility And we make a good point in the post that say, look, it's all about saving lives. All right. Um, So we hear people say, well, it doesn't kill kids anyways. First of all, not true. Second of all, I've always said since the beginning, uh, yes, but it kills adults. And have you ever been to a school where 
all the adults are at home sick or worse. Um, doesn't work very well. You don't really have a school if you don't have teachers there. So, yes, we are protecting our teachers, which is something that we should celebrate. And, you know, the nature of this virus is if those teachers aren't protected, they go home. They might be taking care of an elderly mother or father or, you know, their um, husband could or wife could have a pre-existing condition. So, um, yeah, we have got to uh, do what it is to save lives. That's the important part. So let's go over these tips. And tip number one, prepare yourself mentally, right? So we have to get out all the negative thoughts that we can't do this. We won't do this. This is the worst thing ever. And just prepare ourselves mentally. And in that preparation, let's remember that it might not be as bad as it once was. We have the infrastructure in place. Um, students, except for our kindergartners and our pre-K, um, have already gone through at least a year, at least a year of virtual learning. And so anything is easier the second time around or the third or the fourth. Um, so that's the first thing. Get yourself prepared mentally for it. And second to that, as soon as you've prepared yourself mentally, use these next few days um, before we start back and prepare yourself. And but right after that, um, if you have a few days back in the classroom with your students, prepare them mentally to say, we don't know where this variant is going. And so by the end of January or February, if, and please emphasize to them, this is a just-in-case scenario, if we go back to virtual learning, um, we're going to do this. We're going to do it well. And I think that we should emphasize to them the importance of virtual learning well by putting the responsibility on them. Say that you are responsible for getting a good education, no matter what your school, quote unquote, looks like at the time. And if it's brick and mortar, you're responsible for getting good education. And if it's on a computer screen. Um, and so just emphasize that to them in your lovely ways. And I'm sure you all have your ways of convincing your students of the right thing to do. And I think if those two things are done, you are mentally prepared and your students are mentally prepared, then I think that 80% of your problems are already solved. Um, another tip that we give is to go ahead and make sure that your technology is in place. Make sure that students all know where their chargers are. If, there's, if it's time to start going to the library and asking for computers to be fixed and replaced, um, this is a good time to do it because once that button is hit and they say, you know, virtual learning at home, it's go time. And so let's use this time to prepare that way. Make sure everyone knows how to log in to all of the um, websites uh, that they need to be able to log into. If it's Zoom or Google Meet or Microsoft Meets or whatever, uh, Teams, Microsoft Teams, um, then go ahead and do that now. We also give you this tip. 
and you can go certainly and read the blog word for word. We encourage you to do so. But we also give this tip to don't try to be super superhero. You're already a hero for being a teacher, but don't try to recreate the wheel. This might be the time to, um, you know, use teachers, pay teachers or whatever other online resources or textbooks. You know, I know that we all like to use our own created material because we know our students the best. We know how to differentiate for them. But um, it, when push comes to shove, we can use those materials and certainly modify them to our students learning. Um, so go ahead and talk to your co-teachers and your teammates to get on the same page. Talk about how you're going to differentiate for those students and meet their this, um, special education needs or gifted needs or whatever other needs you have. Get on the same page. So really, it's all about preparing, preparation. Um, as the old saying goes, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So that is all that we have. That's a summary of our blog post. Please go read it. It's a very short read, but I think it's full of information to help you get started. If you have more tips and hints, always tweet at us at, at @teachthisteach. If you are totally broke from buying those presents this holiday season, we have a solution for you. If you go to our website, teachthisteacher.com, there's a big yellow button up in the top right corner that says gigs. And these are short little gigs that you can do to earn quick money. For example, you can write a blog post for our site and have it featured on our podcast, and you can get up to $38 instantly sent to your Cash App, sent to your Venmo, sent to your PayPal instantly. You can also create a five-minute teaching video where you're teaching another teacher how to do something. Five minutes, record it, send it in, and you can earn fast cash. There's other opportunities on our um website. And, and look, guys, the thing about it is it's fast. No taxes are taken out. We just, boom, we send you a quick uh, payment. Check it out and um, contribute to the world of education, our website, and your pocketbook or wallet. Now for our education in the news our New York Times article. This article is titled, Are Schools Ready for the Next Big Surge? And so this goes right along with what we were already talking about, and it's written by a New York Times journalist, Dana Goldstein. And so I've gone through this article and highlighted a few important factoids, and so let's read and talk about it. So one parent is quoted in the article saying, I was not even slightly surprised. I fully expected it. Her hope, she added, is that a short break to reset will allow schools to reopen more safely in the new year. So some schools have already gone to a few days of virtual learning right before the test or excuse me, right before the break. And everybody understand, realize this variant is spreading like none other. I think it was two and a half weeks ago. This variant was 0.03 percent of all COVID cases. Um, a week after that, it was 
And this week it was 73%. So understand that these decisions are not made lightly. And um, it's out there, folks. And we are trying to protect not only our students, but our teachers and our uh, folks back home. So um, I, I thought what was really interesting about this article, too, is it says, that school officials must simultaneously address the devastating impact of the pandemic on students, academic deficits, mental health struggles, and labor shortages. And so your administration, your leadership in your district, in your county, in your state are under a lot of pressure. So let's give them credit. Let's give them support, which is even better than credit. Because as we were talking with... um, Superintendent Watson just uh, last week, they are realizing that there are those academic deficits and they are putting in solutions for them. Um, And he mentioned, just as this New York Times article mentioned, those mental health struggles, that depression that students are um, under. And um, on top of that, the labor shortages, teachers are resigning. I see it on Twitter all the time. I won't be going back after the new year or today's my last day in education on to my next adventure. And I've definitely been there. Um, And so they're under a lot of pressure. They're under a lot of stress and they are not making these um, decisions lightly. Overall, though, we have pretty much avoided total lockdown and shutting down schools. So This article has this statistic. It says across the nation's 13,000 districts and 98,000 public schools, there are only 600 shuttered schools or districts. So that sounds like a huge number, but when you think about it, out of 98,000 public schools and 13,000 school districts, 600 have closed in the last week or so. And that is a data point from uh, Burbio, a company that tracked schools operating through the pandemic. And there are actually fewer closures now than there was in November, which seems a little strange. Um, So uh, to further that statistic, in New York City, there's 1,600 schools and only seven are closed as of the writing of this article, which is... Um, on the 21st. So it's not all doom and gloom. It seems like the strategy right now is to, when a major outbreak happens within a school or a part of a district, to shut that down, but not whole statewide or um, wholesale lockdowns. Um, And the solutions are piecemeal. For example, in Washington, D.C., Their school districts have extended their vacation days by two days, and they're asking parents to use those two days to come and pick up a rapid test at the school and test students before returning them to the classroom. Not a bad idea. We've been rubbing elbows and laughing and having a good time with our family members for the last two weeks. So Washington, D.C. said, hey, Let's give everybody two more days. We'll provide the rapid test. Test your kids before you send them back. I love it. I love it. And um, there's a new strategy, which is also mentioned um, in this article, called Test to Stay. And so basically, instead of 
you know, um, you leave, if you test positive, they're starting to do a test to stay. If you've been exposed, you have to test to be able to stay in the classroom, test and prove that you are negative. So um, we don't know what's coming down the pipeline, but this is an article on the New York Times website about the possibility. Um, a Chicago Teachers Union, Stacy Davis Gates, said that she is not ruling out for her union, the teachers union, to push for a period of time for remote learning. Um, so again, these teacher unions are on the front line of protecting their members because, again, schools don't work well if there aren't teachers to teach. Last quote from the article. If there is a positive case in a class, everyone should just get tested. That's from Eric Berg, vice president of the Boston Teachers Union. If our universities and colleges can test everyone on campus twice per week, it says a lot about the commitment to K-12 education that we can't even test people we know were in the same room. So there are some colleges and universities that are testing everyone uh, twice a week. And so that's news to me. But I, I will say this about universities and college. I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. It is the outrage of the pandemic, or at least the education part of pandemic, that the state of Georgia, where I live, forced professors, forced them to allow students into their classes without masks. That is an outrage of the pandemic in the world of education that folks up in Atlanta who have never stood in front of a classroom and taught can force a professor to teach a class or resign and with in some of these professors are 70 years plus old. So when did politicians become professors and teachers? I have no idea. But I think if you're a 75 year old professor and you have a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge to share with college students, that we shouldn't be losing you because you died of COVID, because some student wouldn't put on a mask, or because you refused to teach that class. And good for those professors that walked out and said, I don't need this. I was doing it for you guys. <laughs> it's like, I've done my time. I was just doing it for y'all. And you can't even put on a mask. And you can go look up those articles in the Atlanta Journal-Constitutions where professors walked out because some politician up in Atlanta wanted to boost their political standing um, and decided to dictate to teachers uh, in a, at a college level what they could and could not allow in their classroom. So I told you I'd go long. I'm sorry. Let's end it here. And I am so glad that you guys are going along with me on this podcast journey. And um, again, I can't say it enough. Tweet at us at handle teach this teach see you next time coming up next time on teach this teacher podcast we have 
Mr. K, also known as JT, from uh, Class Dojo. He is a Class Dojo ambassador. He works with them. And he's going to tell us how Class Dojo can help your classroom management and help your learning environment. So many teachers think when you ask them, you know, what's your PBIS strategies? Um, what is your strategy for positive behavior intervention? They say it's Class Dojo. Well, Mr. K and I are going to talk about how Class Dojo is not PBIS. They are not one in the same. Class Dojo is a tool in the toolkit to help you with your PBIS. Now, another issue that I have heard with Class Dojo is it's only for younger kids. We're going to address that too, and you might be surprised at the ideas that Mr. K, JT has for using Class Dojo with those older students. Join us next week for this very informative episode.